The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Our world is always so rush-rush. We can never get any personal time to ourselves, let alone those that we love. Welcome to Might Radio with host Gabriella Von Ray. Our mission, to reintroduce kindness and compassion to our busy lives. Remember when life was so much simpler? Gabriella and her guests today will pick up the ball of human kindness and by doing so, empower you to make changes in your own life. And now, here is Gabriella Von Ray. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to a Might Radio Show. We have uh, the topic today is back to school and bullying. And our guest today is really interesting that she's willing to come uh, and talk on our radio show. Her name is Allison Kish Dedrick. I hope I said that correctly. And she's a teacher and has been a teacher for more than 30 years. Allison, welcome to the show. And it's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have a teacher because, you know, I always feel that in this epidemic, we have to bring all the parties together. And I really mean all the parties. And for me, the parties are the educators, the parents, the victims and the bully and even the bystanders, because we are all play a very important role in either uh, finding a solution to this problem or making it worse. In both cases, we need all of the players. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Allison, and how did you become a teacher? Why the passion for teaching? Well, the passion so much for teaching comes from my, my love and desire to help children. As well as okay. I've worked with adults, I've worked with babies, I've worked with um, children with all sorts of disabilities, adults with disabilities. And it's just, uh, that's just me. I just love to volunteer. I love to help people. Um, I taught for over 30 years, like you said, but I taught in various different different uh, categories and categorizations for school. Uh, and it's just, each one was more enjoyable than the next. Okay. That, that's actually fantastic. So you're actually doing something that you've always loved doing. Yeah. But when, when you say very different arenas, I read in, um, in what you written to me earlier that you also taught uh, disabilities. So you're not like a teacher that's been an English teacher all your life and has never seen anything else, which makes you more special. Well, not that it makes me more special, but correct. I've taught in different capacities. I've been in, I've taught in physical education. I've taught driver's education. I taught um, aquatics for the handicapped. I've taught classrooms for learning disability students um, for the ECDD kids, the babies that are highly impaired from three to five years old. I've taught adults 18 to 26 that either went to school or they went back to jail. Um, so it's it's been a real varied career, and I've had a lot of different experiences dealing with different populations within the school system. 
Wow. Amazing. When I hear all that, it's kind of mind-boggling to me. But one of the questions that I want to focus on, of course, is the epidemic of bullying. But honest to goodness, Alison, this is a question everyone always says. Did bullying always exist or is it a total new thing? What, what is it from your viewpoint? Well, I can remember... But see, we didn't call it bullying when we were children. It was okay. it was it was more of a teasing kind of thing. But it has the same components that bullying does. Um, I believe that bullying now, with the the super bullying, has really really uh, impacted, especially our secondary students and older. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of our younger students don't have access to the computers and the cyber bullying, but. The older students do through all the social media sites and whatever. So I think in that respect, it was different, say, when I was a child or when I began teaching because we didn't have those kind of outlets. And I believe in elementary school, or at least a lot of them in the lower levels, they don't have that that ability to use uh, the computer or whatever for that type of thing. But there's always, I think, been bullying, but not to the extent that it is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I actually agree with you about the teasing. What what shocks me, and I'm I'm really wondering what your take is on that. What what shocks me, and the reason I go out there every day to try to to see if we can save a child's life is I hear continuously parents and victims saying that the bully or the group because it might be an entire group too, tells the child that it's not worthy of living. That is something I, in my day, and I've been bullied a lot, I have never heard anyone tell me that 40 years ago. Where do you think this comes from? Where Where do you think, what is it in our society that we did, that people think life is not, a life is not worth something? Well, watch any movie that's, that's- coming out on a big screen or whatever, life is not valued. There's too much killing and the brutality and everything is there. That was not there when I was a child or younger. Everything is in, it makes it unreal. It makes it, okay, if you die, yeah, you can come back next week and be on a different different show. But it it doesn't, that is so much different. I think a lot of it is just just what we have in our own communities and... um, you know, the community that I live in is the number one murder capital of the world. And it's it's what you make of it. It um, There's a lot of people that come out of here that are exceptional athletes, students, business people, and whatever. So a lot of it, I think, is just coming out and and doing what you feel is the right way to do things. So so you do feel, see, I, do, I think it's all about television. I think t- because we all seem to... Um, and, and I say we, I think myself, I think parents, educators, we kind of seem to blame only the technology, meaning the iPhones and the computers. But I really feel that there is a, it, there's a total different take on TV and what a child perceives as reality uh, is not really reality. Exactly. Okay. 
So I, I just wanted to make that point. And when you said <laughs> that you live in a really dangerous place, a lot of our listeners have no idea where you're from. So <laughs> maybe I should not. Maybe I should mention where I'm living. <laughs> maybe you shouldn't say anything. I don't know. But as as someone who's not from the U.S., I think it's interesting to know at least the city or the state. It's in Michigan. It's in Michigan. Okay, perfect. <laughs> we won't say more than that. But see, to me, that sounds really odd, because when you look at criminality all over the U.S., we would think it would be New York, you know, um, New York State. I would have thought of Chicago, Illinois. And maybe I'm just saying things because I hear it on the news, but I wouldn't have thought Michigan at all. Well, one would think that, but um, Detroit's always, it's right in the top three. Um, okay. But Michigan and, and a lot of its economics, I, okay. you know, if I guess if I could come up with the answer for that, I'd be rich. <laughs> yeah. But, but doesn't it also, apart from economics, don't we sometimes just use economics as a crutch to not know and do better, basically? Yeah, I... Well, it could be used as an excuse. I, I, I feel it's used as an excuse a lot. Like, oh, I come from a really bad background, so, you know, that's why. And and people say to me, well, the bully is always from a bad family. That's not true at no, all. Um, and, well, I think a lot of this tough stuff is what, what's current within our own legal systems right now. And if it's a good defense, okay. then okay. they use it. You know, the lawyers will of use course. it. And, um my lawyer of friends course. may not agree, but, I, you know, if that's <laughs> going to get your client off. And so, you know, people are aware of this. This kind of thing permeates down into, you know, all aspects of life and society. And they know and are aware of, okay, if I did this wrong, what can I do to get off so I don't have to take responsibility? And responsibility yeah. is the big issue. You know, everybody of course. Needs and it. again, unfortunately, we see uh, murders trial play out on TV and on the news and on all the media. So mm -hmm. children see exactly. that all day long, too. Um, but in, in your experience of teaching, why is it why does it seem unsurmountable to get parents and educators to work together? Um, <laughs> it's. In your point, it, 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 point. It can be very difficult. I've worked with some absolutely wonderful parents even the last few years, but then I've worked with some very difficult parents. And um, I, I think a lot has to do with the parents' own experience of what education was like for them growing up. Um, I believe that some of it is, some of it, is, I, mean, I don't want to categorize anyone, but some of it mm -hmm. is guilt for maybe they don't feel that they've given their child enough or okay. um, have done enough for them. And, um, but if I, I don't think I, I don't know very many teachers that really didn't have the best thoughts and desires to help a student, you know, in place. I, and I, I think by parents questioning their absolute motives that this, this causes some issues with the teachers and the the, the students, the parents. We have a, you know, we have certain things that we have to get through, and this is not the teachers' fault. It's really not the school system's fault. This is coming down from state governments, local governments, 
federal governments. Okay. We have so many different tests to give. We have to reach a certain level. So teachers are pressured, and now they're going to be pressured because of their pay. They're going to be pressured whether or not they have a job, as if they can provide, if they can provide students the opportunity to pass these particular tests or whatever. So, uh, those kind of tests just aren't valid in this 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 uh, world anymore. They they okay. they don't address a lot of the issues. And I, I so I think there's a lot of animosity beca- between the goals of the parent and the goals of the adult, the, the teacher. Mm-hmm. But I also I you just said it. I I know nothing about the federal and the state laws uh, on education. And I don't even want to start in there because it's it's a zoo, I've heard from exactly. many. Yeah. <laughs> but I do understand that that's one of the reasons that hands are tied. I mean, I remember 40 years ago that a teacher could do something. A teacher could actually take a whole classroom and suddenly uproot it and take it outside because she had an epiphany. And whereas today, this is all not possible anymore. It's like... It's all politics. If you you got to stay in the classroom because, like you said, they got to be tested. There's no room for uh, learning on another level, or no room to actually even for a teacher to do some. Uh, I'm just going to say some role playing in in her own classroom about bullying if she knows that it exists. Um, I, that depends on your school system. The school that I was in last, that I also taught in for mm-hmm. many years. Um, has a, a staff that is very willing and bullying. Most, a lot of schools have bullying programs, but they um, they would have discussions and they would have some role playing and, and things with the students for bullying. And okay. um, but these were more programs that were they weren't assigned, but um, they were available as well as the teachers. Pretty much, if they thought their students needed it. It was a wonderful building to work in because the teachers had many freedoms, but yet they still were able to get the kids tested. And but they were very, very. Most teachers are very, very dedicated. Yeah, and I so agree. They with would that. go to extremes to make sure that their students learned things, but also became better people. Okay, we'll be right back, Allison. We're going into a short commercial break. Okay. We'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. 
Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even coworker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things. And together, you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite twice every week, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety and on the Voice America Empowerment Channel every Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. tuned in to might radio do you have a question or comment for our show perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness please send an email to gabriella von ray at gmail.com that's g-a-b-r-i-e-l-l-a-v-a-n-r-i-j at gmail.com now back to might radio with gabriella von ray Hi, everyone, and for the people that are just starting to listen with us, our guest today is Alison Kish Dedrick, and we're talking about a teacher's viewpoint on bullying. Alison, um, I would love to know a little bit, in the last three years of your teaching, what is your insight of the percentage of children being bullied in the classroom? Um, the percentage, I think, is especially in my my situation, was very low. Um, most of us had low tolerance for any kind of bullying, and especially if we were aware of it, if we witnessed it or whatever. Uh, the particular classroom that I worked in prior to retiring was um, uh, an adapted class for physically hearing-impaired, visually-impaired students. And this particular population is, is at a really high um, incident level for bullying. It's, um, but in the particular school I was in, they had a regular education program as well as the high needs program, and it just was not thought of. You know, you just didn't make fun of a blind kid that fell down or, or um, a child that was in a wheelchair. or I mean, it just... It wasn't that we had um, mentoring programs. We had anything that we could do to get the students together and to work with each other and to empathize a little bit with each other. Um, I just have finished working for six months in a learning disabled resource mm-hmm. room, of grades one through six. And um, it was, you know, in that age, especially when they start to get a little bit older, I think you'll see a lot more of the bullying. But it just it just wasn't tolerated, you know. If I was okay. to know about it, it they would, my students certainly didn't do it in front of me, and if I heard about them doing it or was reported, then we would take care of it. But I, you know, there was bullying. I can't deny that there wasn't. But usually, if one of the adults in the area were to take a quick action or to get to the bottom of it, it usually stopped. Okay. So um, I'm a 
I, I think that we probably had a lower percentage of bullying mm-hmm. than a lot of places, but a lot of it was just, you know, just the population that we had in our school. Okay, because what I hear a lot is that the students say that they do go to a teacher, but that the teacher doesn't have, A, the time to look into every case, and and that they only kind of deal with it on the surface, meaning they often pull the bully on the side and say, this cannot happen again, or, or I'm just going to say something, or there's detention. But mm-hmm. more than that, and of course we all know that, well, you just do detention and then we're back, you know, we're back at the same problem. It's, it's, it's a vicious cycle over and over because nobody actually discusses the behavioral problem behind it. Right. And that's, that's what I hear in most schools. And so I get a, a sense from the children. I'm, I'm just telling you the, the, the viewpoint of the students tell to me, who should we tell? They don't really care. Well, a lot of the bullies that I've seen mm-hmm. are, are bullies are being bullied. And so then... Within this power structure of who's the most powerful, okay, I'm being bullied by somebody else. Well, then I'm going to turn around and I'm going to bully somebody that I feel more or some power over. And, um, you know, there's so there is a psychology. I mean, we can sit and explain that to a third grader all day long. And, yeah. and I, I don't know that cognitively they're going to be able to grab that concept. Um, mm-hmm. but, I think if you can tell them why and put them in a position that says, okay, if you were in this position or if it was your little brother or your sister, if we can if we can start getting some empathy for each other, I think a lot of the bullying then will disappear. I personally think that we have, as a teacher, we have, we have more responsibilities than just imparting reading, writing, and arithmetic. I think that you know, we have to teach students if they don't know how to get along, how to get along. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I hope I answered your question. <laughs> you you did. I, I'm just mesmerized listening because you're one of the first teachers that I I I hear say that, and so I'm I'm actually mesmerized because I think it's really really positive to hear that from a teacher's mouth, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. I wish you could have seen one of my my sessions with um, the what I call kind of the kids here in um, in Davenport. There is a cats group, and it's children that what I call that it's. It's their last chance at school, right? Mm-hmm. It's that after this, it's prison, basically. Right. They, they, they have uh, either violent behavior towards other children or they have guns. Or And I was lucky enough to be asked to do a few sessions there. And I call it sessions where we teach kindness. Exactly. Um, but I, I love your word about empathy because it's the same. But one of the things that I noticed immediately is that if you put all the bad words on a board that they feel that they get all day long from other students, the once you do that in front of a classroom, then they all notice it's the same words. So a little bit like you just said, you know, mm-hmm. someone calls you gay or, or little or fat, and then instantly you turn around and you hit the next one. And I 
I basically call that action reaction. If we could actually teach, um, I'd like to teach it to the parents first. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, because I think a lot of this responsibility does lie in the home. Uh, if you are tired, you will, and I know that because I've been a parent, you might, instead of the beautiful meal that is awaiting, you might just go for a frozen dinner or a macaroni and cheese because it's really easy to prepare and you just can't deal with anything anymore and you just want a break and you'll put the child in front of the television. I've done that once or twice in my life too. <laughs> uh, definitely not proud of it. And uh, But I must say that I'm pretty lucky from the standpoint of coming from a European home where dinner is the only moment where we all gather together and where it's just quiet time. It's Quiet time together, meaning you get to hear everything your child says. And the moment we could instill this in the parents that this gets done, mm -hmm. then I think we're on the right track in the sense of, of bringing back empathy and how parents can teach the kids not to have action reaction just by talking and saying, you know, I've told my child often at work, I had this happen and I got upset and then realized later she wasn't upset at me at all. You know, she had her own problems. And by doing that, the child already knows that this can happen to her in school too. Correct. And so I would like to see the parents come back into it more and more. But I find, and this is my question to you as a teacher, because I, I'm guessing more than I have statistics on this, is the foundation of the child is not there anymore. I didn't want a mother at home every day when I came home from school because I'd like to get into some mischief. But I had a mom at home, and I'm really grateful for that. You know, Correct. I don't think I, you know, parents I, are at home anymore. Um, and, and a lot of it, I, you know, I, I, is that because of jobs, because of, you know, other worries, it's, it's very difficult for them to be at home and provide the same kind of structure. It's a different world than it was 30 years ago. Yeah. And, you know, we have to make accommodations somehow, and so do families. Um, I think the dinner time is a wonderful time, but it doesn't necessarily have to be dinner. It could be a special time in the morning for breakfast. It could be, True. you know, on the weekend. It's a special family time, and I think that's the important key is that the, the families choose a time when they're all available because of work schedules, school schedules, sports schedules. Kids have 55,000 activities they're going to, and the parents mm -hmm. feel rushed to get them there. But if they take a certain time of day, every day and it doesn't have to be for any length of time it can be for a few minutes just to let the kids and the parents you know say hey this is how i'm doing yeah absolutely but how, how do we do that how do we instill this back when there's so many new what i call new composite families meaning the child is on saturday with the dad and and their new wife and on sunday you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's kind of rushing between these two homes that a child has too now. Yes, there. You know, I, I wonder it, how that plays out in all this bullying stuff too. Well, I'm sure it does because they don't feel the children don't feel like they have anyone that's listening to them, and so of course then they're frustrated, and they probably can't verbalize why they're frustrated, and um, 
so then, you know, when I get frustrated, you know, I, I don't, you know, there's certain avenues that I take. There's certain avenues I've learned how to deal with my frustration. But, mm-hmm. you know, and I think we can teach that, but usually that's all taught to you by your families. Um, children... Children are, are, are really very versatile and they're very resilient. And um, I, I think parents just need to feel that this time is important and they have to make the time. Just yeah. like teachers have to make the time to discuss certain issues that are going on in their school community. Okay. Um, Do you s- a, a lot of the students now are facing, you know, third graders, second graders. They're facing... Uh, coming to school the next day, and either somebody on their block has been shot or killed or somebody that sat next to them in school. And, you know, those are responsibilities I didn't have to deal with as a child, and or I don't even know if I knew about them. But, you know, our kids are facing our education. Everything has to change now. It, we can't do a lot of the things that we did 50, 40, 30 years ago. We have to adapt. And um, I think I view testing, I'm, this is my, but that yeah. is, is a way that it's taking away from that time that we could be spending quality time with each other. Yeah. How, how do teachers even deal with that? I mean, because what you just said, you know, if someone get killed that sat next to you yesterday and you have to come back to school and sit there, how do teachers even help these children? Isn't I mean, I really don't know if a teacher can. Well, I, the teacher can. The teacher's got to be able to help themselves first, mm-hmm. and they have to know. They really have to know how they're going to deal with this and how they do deal with this. You know, the school systems offer in cases like that. They offer grief counseling to the students. You know, even if it wasn't a violent death or whatever, but they offer grief counseling for any of the students that want to take advantage of it. I can see in secondary a lot of kids won't take advantage of it um, because then it would diminish their power and their whatever. Um, but it, teachers, um, I think, are going to be, because they're the ones who are close to their students. They're going, they know their students. They're going to be the ones that are able to, you know, discussion on some of this stuff. Let the kids talk about it for a while. You know, let them okay. get their feelings out. The mm-hmm. um, the perception of death by a kindergartner as opposed to a seventh grader are two different things. And you have to be able to relate on the level of the child you're working with. So mm-hmm. there's um, the teachers are pretty aware of how their students and are going to react to certain situations. But I don't think it does anyone any good just to ignore it. I think it has to be addressed and, uh, and, and, and let people discuss their feelings and, and if they want to, if they don't want to, hopefully we can get other avenues for them. Yeah, absolutely. Hold that thought. We'll, we'll be right back. We have to go into a commercial break right now, Allison. Okay. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. 
Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as host Jordan Kimmel is joined by national experts in the fields of accounting, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be recognized as doing the right thing by the American Trust Awards. Your host Jordan Kimmel is himself a trusted professional with years of experience in applying strategies and consulting with today's leading firms. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Are you a business innovator, or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A. V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. Hi, everyone, and we're talking with our guest, Allison Kish Dedrick, about bullying and educators in school as she is a teacher and has a total different viewpoint than, than um parents or someone like me that talks to students a lot. Um, You were just talking about that grief counseling and about children seeing things that, of course, weren't out there in my case when I was 40 years ago at school and uh, even longer. And uh, um, (laughs) I don't want to count. And then um, one of the things that, that always strikes me is we lose so many children um, through suicide because of bullying. And some of them are so public, meaning it's not just, you know, the child that you suddenly know that isn't there anymore, that doesn't use the locker or the seat where it used to sit. But when a child, in the case of Felicia Garcia, she jumped in front of a train with her whole class present, I really wonder, what what is your take on something like that? Because the bully must have been present too. And if he or she wasn't, they hear about it later. Um, First off, that's a a horrible, horrible situation. And one that I'm glad I've never had to face, um, especially with with my students there. And Mm -hmm. I'm glad that they hadn't had to face that. But I... 
I think bullies on their, if the bully was there, bullies are going, just the perception of their own self-concept, whatever, they're, they won't take the blame. They won't take the responsibility for this. It'll be, they'll put it all, they'll redirect all the responsibility back onto the person that, that killed themselves. And, um, and, and say, no, I didn't, you know, yeah, I just made fun of her. I didn't cause her to do this. I didn't tell her to do this. And so the mm-hmm. responsibility lies there. And I think that all has to go with the psychology of becoming a bully and, um, and the power control. And, and, um, you know, that's, that's such a horrible, horrible situation. And, um, I thought I would, we were I would hope that nobody else has to witness something like that. But but we teach children responsibility when they're young, right? We we I mean, as a parent, we we do. We try to teach them right from wrong, and and we say if this is broke, you have to repair it or you have to. So I, I, why? I think I think, um, I think we do a lot. We do. We try to teach responsibility as a parent. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm a parent also, and you know, and we try to take have our our children take responsibilities for their actions but then how many times have you seen where you thought your child or you thought you were being unjustly accused and so you're talking with your your spouse or your significant other or a friend and you're you know that guy's just got it out for me he just has it out for me and so your, your child's perception of this is that okay she's making whatever she did which may have been wrong, but she's blaming it on somebody else because they did such and such. And I think our society nowadays is much more willing to do that and not take responsibility for their yeah. own actions. And I think that's a, it's an example thing. It's a learned thing. And, um, yeah, I can say you're responsible for taking, for getting your homework done every night. And, you know, if, if there's nobody there to help, that child, especially if it's a learning child, take the responsibility to do that every night. Mm-hmm. You know, the kid, the child's not going to do it. Okay. I mean, it's not necessarily, it's just that it's not a particularly, homework usually isn't the happiest day of the night or the hour of the day, and it's something that they don't want to do. But if they're responsible, they get it done. We have lots of straight-A students that are Rhodes Scholars and et cetera, and they've just learned that responsibility. But there may be responsibilities in other parts of their lives they're not willing to take. True. True. I, th- I think the reason that we, the children end up doing their homework is they see the result immediately within a few days. Yeah, um, and but they still need a parental support system to get it done. They still need that. That is true, but you don't see a responsibility. Um, there's nothing the child sees if it keeps bullying, and if it's never reported, or if the child only ends up in detention once or twice. Why? Why not continue? It's working so far, right? Well, it depends on what their motivations for the bullying are. If it's mm-hmm. to get attention, then then it's not working. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's to get back at somebody or to take power or control over somebody, yes, then it would be working. So somehow that has to be broken. That that um, and and I can only see it being broken in a couple ways. And most of that is is through developing some kind of social skills for empathy. And I, I believe empathy is a very very important uh, concept and thing that everybody should learn how to do. Yeah. Um, put yourself in the position of somebody who's who you you visualize as being less fortunate than you are. Mm-hmm. You know. I 
I always uh, tell teachers to do an intervention, just to teach her to bully in the victim. Yes. And to not start off uh, aggressive with the bully, which we have the tendency of, of saying, you know, what's your problem? You know, come on. You know yeah. better, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I say, if you start totally opposite and you say, so what makes you so sad? What, what's going on today? Yeah. That child. I, and I think that's how, you know, we've pretty much learned how to do it. Aggressiveness usually doesn't re- get the results that we're looking for. If, no. if anything, we'll get the opposite results and we'll get students that have... Um, I, I worked in a, this is just an example of mine, I worked yep. in a situation where I was working with adults mm-hmm. that were either had to finish their GEDs or they and went go to school every day, so it was a very defined course, and um, or they went back to, to jail. And I learned very quickly, as I was only in my 30s at the time, and some of my students were very, very close to me in age, there was no way that I could even try to be uh, aggressive or... Um, extremely um, com- demanding. I had mm-hmm. to come up with different approaches on how to get to the bottom of the situation that would benefit what I wanted, to, the outcome that I wanted to see. So mm-hmm. I, I learned a lot in that couple years teaching of how, how to deal with, with students and just people in general. And, um, it, you know, it, it was a real very, very difficult teaching assignment but it was also very, very beneficial. And it helped me in my later years in teaching. It, it kind of changed me a little bit on how I dealt with students. Mm-hmm. But I think, I mean, again, this is what I hear. I mean, it's no, no, nothing negative that I'm trying to say, but a teacher told me I don't have time. You know, at 4 o'clock, you know, I need to then see two or three interventions like I told them to do. And and they said, who's going to pay me for that was one of the first reactions. And the second was, I have papers to correct and things to do, and I already get home so late to my own family. Uh, and, and, you know, that I, I don't know what people want where um, teachers on the whole are are very poorly paid. They're, I know that. For the hours yeah. that they put in, they... Um, and, I, and I'm not making excuses of them because somehow, somewhere along the line, the teacher will address the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but it, there becomes a resentment when the the teacher sees that okay, we we provide lunches, breakfast, dinners for students, um, daycare after school or before school. We are, have become a surrogate parent, but yet we have a lot of the avenues that a parent has. We don't have those. Um, and Give me one example of that, um, it, of an avenue uh, that you wish an educator would have. Well, it depends on the educators. Um, you know, just for keeping, we can't keep kids after school anymore, you know, okay. because of busing situations and whatever. I used to be able, if I was coaching or if I was teaching and, and somebody stayed after school or whatever, I was able and felt very easy about taking a kid back to their home and driving okay. them to their home. Uh, it's very difficult to do that to, in this day and age without special parental permission and school district, and you have to have this insurance and that insurance. And and so teachers, you know, they see a lot of the duties that they had and a lot of the privileges that, not privileges, I don't want to use that word, but 
a lot of the things that were available to them are no longer available to them because of laws, because of, and I'll have to say, some teachers that took advantage of it and weren't, you know, but 99% of the teachers don't have horrible, horrible uh, motivations behind why they want to help students. And I think that's one of the biggest things. What I was able to do when I started teaching in Davenport in the 70s was um, I was able to establish a rapport and a, a family situation with my students and the kids that I coached, especially with the, the students that I coached. You know, and it was a valuable experience for them, for myself as well. And mm-hmm. um, it's very difficult. I mean, there's certainly coaches that do something like that, but they have to be extremely trusted in the community. Um, and, and well, then you get into situations like um, Penn State, you know, so those people were, so I understand the parents' fear of allowing some of this and not, but they have to know, that's why they have to know their teachers. They have to be able to get into the schools and take mm-hmm. a, a, they have to take um and be a visible figure, and they have to know what's going on. Yeah, so better communication between the two, basically. Exactly. Between the teachers. And and teachers, I think, it's just a frustration level. We're expected, you're expected to do this, and then you have meetings, and a lot of the meetings now aren't, you know, they're contractual, but you're not paid, so you go to these meetings for a few days before school starts. Um, You have other meetings, and then you have, especially in the case of elementary school teachers, they have... You know, they have 30 kids in their class. There's six different subjects they teach or papers or whatever, and they have to correct because the kids want their papers back the next day. And you don't want to be sitting a whole weekend correcting math sheets or English or whatever. So they have a lot of response. Plus they have their own families and children with needs. That was another thing that changed a lot from earlier times. Women that were teachers weren't allowed to be married or have children. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. What generation was that? <laughs> that was that was quite some time ago. Yeah, it was before no? my time, too. So. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Oof. I'm just like, wow. <laughs> That's a long time ago. Yeah, I, I agree with that. We're going to go into a real short little break, and we'll be right back. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. What if you were willing to be controversial, choosing kindness instead of judgment, willing to stand out from the crowd, being a leader in creating a new reality, even if others don't follow? 
you can make a difference. Start by tuning in to The Value of Controversy. Each week, our hosts will bring you the tools to help create the world that you want to live in and explore what's possible when you choose from the controversy of consciousness. Listen for The Value of Controversy every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Might Radio. Do you have a question or comment for our show? Perhaps you wish to share your own stories of human kindness. Please send an email to Gabriella Von Ray at gmail.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-A-V-A-N-R-I-J at gmail.com. Now, back to Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray. Hi, everyone, and I can't believe the hour goes that quickly, Allison. And I'm going to go for the last question. I have like 30 more questions, but okay. I'll go with uh, one that I really want to address, which is our multicultural society. Um, I'm from Canada, and I always say with a big smile that we're a melting pot that has not melted yet. And (laughs) we're trying. We're really trying. But I think it's still difficult, and I think it's difficult. My my personal take on it, it has to do with fear of the unknown. It's it's always the same. But I meet small children. This is more, what I'm talking about is more elementary school children that are six, six years old, let's say between six and ten. And um, they are from... Um, parents, mixed parents. One one could be Japanese and the other one is American. And they happen, I think they're the most beautiful kids in the world, but they happen to have uh, a little bit of both parents, which is probably fantastic. And in this case, this little boy was very, very sad about it because he had the Asian eyes and was... He didn't dare to go to the washroom anymore because, don't forget, again, a lot of the bullying goes on in, in regular schools in the washrooms where teachers have no way of being. And and he asked me what to do. And I find that a really difficult question. What um, is your take on this kind of bullying? Because the child well, cannot go home with this question. The child certainly can go home with that question if he feels comfortable at home. Um, and I, I think the parents, his parents, the the bullies, the person that's being bullied, yeah. the parents need to also, you know, be aware of some of the issues that, you know, idealistically we would all prefer that our children um, not be bullied because of their uh, their looks, because of their ethnicity or be, whatever, but that, you know, um, you you have to be prepared for that. And in, in different societies, there's different things that are bullied depending on what your society values as uh, what's the ideal person or structure or whatever. Um, so I, I do think the child needs to be able to talk to the parents, and the parents have to be willing, and they have to be, be in a non-reactive, non-combative kind of mode. And mm-hmm. then, um, you know, and as, as teachers... 
yes, you're correct. The bathrooms, buses, lunchtime, wherever there's minimal um, minimal adult supervision is when the bullying takes place. Normally, it doesn't take place right in front of you because the bully knows that that's inappropriate and that he could suffer some consequences. Mm-hmm. But, Absolutely. Um, they... Uh, it is, you know, buses are horrible for if if the students ride buses for for bullying situations and whatever. And there's different ways they have to get around it. But with with the child's, my children are of mixed race, and um, you know, my husband and I had spoken about that before we had children, and we decided that you know we could we could we could deal with that on a home basis. Now, I, if you spoke to my daughters, they may not agree, but I saw <laughs> the bullying that, um, that they went through wasn't really what we think of bullying. It was more of an isolation from the rest of the, the community. Um, the rest which is, of which is the in my population. opinion, one of the worst forms of bullying exactly. when you feel you know, outcasted. It's not overt, but it's, um, and, you know they they've had for years the different uh, sensitivity training classes and whatever, and everybody you know they know how to do those really well. But in their own little heads, we all have our biases, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's just being aware of what your biases are and how you know how you choose to form whatever you're going to say before it comes out of your mouth is really important. Um, but as as parents, I. I tried to deal with it. There was one situation where um, I, I think I over I overreacted, but one of the reasons my husband and I were married so long is that he he was also at one end of the the spectrum and I was at the other. And so if I okay. overreacted, he was a, he was able to to ease me out of that very well. And he did okay. that with people that he knew and coached and whatever. Also, so we were a good match that way, and he was the good balance to me and um and, and but not everybody's that fortunate so i was mm-hmm. just lucky in in that in that respect that i had somebody that could could uh, balance off my and get me to cool out before i did something silly and i think that's it's it's the reaction of the parents that is going to determine how the child and actually not just the parent but any adult is going to determine how the child reacts mm-hmm. um I, you know, I hope that I had imparted upon my daughters, you know, uh, their own important feeling of self-worth, that they would be able to, you know, just write some of this off as just to ignorant people and to uneducated and to unfeeling people, mm-hmm. as opposed to an individual uh, attack upon them. So, and and I know it still happens, and I know it's happened you know, when I first started teaching, they didn't expect, you know, we came from a different state and we came to, to this state and um, nobody knew who I was. My husband was in the secondary, I was in the elementary. And um, some of the comments that they didn't know who my husband was and some of the comments I would hear in the teacher's lounge just absolutely, absolutely floored me. And I was... Um, you know, to come from an educated group of kids, people that were working with all different kinds of groups of kids. And so I, I had to determine which was the 
what was the best way to do to deal with this? I could have stood up and ranted and raved and screamed, um, but I thought I need a more effective and a more subtle way to deal with this. And so um, I'd wait until I waited until the Christmas party and brought my husband okay. and watched the reaction. Okay. And the the guilt and the oh my god, did I really say that back then? And <laughs> and um. So it, and that and that was to me that was teaching without teaching. That was teaching um, by uh, I don't know what that's called. <laughs> I guess it's my own teaching technique. But um, I, I think it was probably much more beneficial than me to stand up and and reiterate thousands of facts and blah 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 blah. I, I so <laughs> yeah. No, I, I hear you totally. I think there's a way of, of dealing with it, but, um, and thank you for sharing that. But in, in, I, I will actually take the advice that you just said and, and actually maybe suggest that some of the teachers in cases like that maybe call the parents. Because in, in the case with this little boy, he did not dare to tell the parents. Okay, and he, that might be a cultural thing too. Yeah, I, he thought it was embarrassing for them. Yes, yes. And he didn't want to choose. So he already in his little head went, I have to choose the better one, which is the American. Yeah. Because that's kind of what, what they're doing, right, the kids? Well, yes, and it, it's so unfair to that child. Yeah. And so, you know, if the teacher is aware of it, and or if the other any adults that they're associated with are aware of it, you know, they could discuss it with the mother or the parents. And um, absolutely, they might have different results from that discussion, mm-hmm. but uh, they'd also have to discuss it with the child. Yep, absolutely, Allison. On that note, I have to thank you because the engineers are telling me that my time is up, <laughs> our time is up. We could have talked a lot longer. I thank you so much for being the first and only teacher to have come on the show and to give your point of view because, again, uh, let's not forget it. We need to work together exactly. to teach empathy. I yeah. really, really like that you said that, to teach empathy and to get rid of all these social issues that we're having in, in schools. Sure. It's absolutely not necessary. Thank you so much, and I hope to meet you soon. And I will put up the segment um, within a couple of hours on the Internet. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Thank you again for joining us this week. Might Radio with Gabriella Von Ray can be heard every Friday at noon Eastern Time, 9 Pacific Time, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a great week, and until our next show, think of a random act of kindness that you can perform. (laughs) 